You're listening to Speaker's Corner with Alfie Joey. Tips, tools and tactics for speaking in public in many different ways from a diverse range of guests. These titans of talking from the world of business, politics, podcasts, TED Talks and showbiz share their stories to help you improve your own confidence and communication skills. Please welcome your host, Alfie Joey. Ooh, good guest today, friends. How are you doing? I'd love to know what you think about the guests we've had so far. I'm trying to keep it broad, wide, diverse. I think we've had a really, really good interest mix so far. And this next guy, I think he's, yeah, he's carving out his own niche. He's doing something that I haven't seen anyone else do. I'm talking about tech in a very different way. It's very challenging. Um, I had him as a guest. He's called Alexander Bell when I was working on the radio. Every now and again, when you did the breakfast radio show, when I did it, you would have a guest who people would stop you and ask you about and talk about, and the show was memorable. And so much so, we had to get him back on. He came so well prepared. He did a little experiment on me and some of the rest of the breakfast team. It was really good fun. It did really well on our Facebook and our socials at the radio station. So we got him back and he was brilliant all over again. So without further ado, I'm sure he'll be brilliant for you all over again right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Alexander Bell. What a guest today with, well, what a name, Alexander Bell. Well, the Alexander Bell, not the Alexander. The only one going at the moment anyway. (laughs) The other guy clapped out over 100 years ago now, Alfie. Was that name an accident or was it intentional? Uh, I believe the term is a happy accident. (laughs) So the joke is, because my middle name isn't Graham, uh, but actually neither was his because he was born Alexander Bell. Now we're talking about, for those uh, audience members who don't know what we're talking about, Alfie, Alexander Graham Bell was the acclaimed inventor of the telephone. There's a bit of controversy around that. Um, but I think you would, if you looked at all the evidence, and there's books about it that, that have done this, you would come to the conclusion that he certainly pioneered the telephone. Uh, and whether the patent um, that was was given to him when he was, he was only 26 years old when he got the, the patent for the telephone, and he didn't even have a working model then. Uh, it was actually three days after he received the patent um, that he uttered those famous words, uh, Watson, come here, I want to see you, which was his assistant. Yeah. And that's the very first words that were ever uttered down a telephone and understood audibly on the other side. Um, so that was three days after he'd actually got the patent for his device. And even more fascinating is on the day, which is Valentine's Day, um, when he submitted his patent application at the same Washington patent office, Elisha Gray, who was a fellow scientist researcher, uh, submitted his, it uh, wasn't a full patent application, it was uh, a, an intention to submit a, a further patent application, uh, but sort of laying claim to this uh, contraption that would transmit sound down a telegraph wire. Um, he submitted it on the exact same day in the exact same office. And as legend goes, it was Alexander Graham Bell's business partner uh, who um, who essentially submitted it on his behalf that paid more to have it submitted and it got raised to the top of the pile quicker than Elijah Gray's uh, uh, did. 
So Alexander Graham Bell got the patent. So it's just funny how history could have been very, we could have been talking on the gray device. Uh, and you, well, and we probably wouldn't be talking about this because I'm guessing your interest in him came from the fact that you shared a name and all through your childhood, you must have spent an awful lot of time going, yes, it is the same name. <laughs> yeah, so sorry, I went off down lots of different tracks. So, so he was born Alexander Bell. He had two older brothers and they both had middle names and he didn't have a middle name. So for his 11th birthday, he asked his dad, which by all accounts... Uh, was you know quite a back then the father figure of the household you know was a very fatherly figure uh, so he asked uh, if he could have a middle name for his birthday for his 11th birthday and uh, Alexander Graham was a patient of his father's uh, and basically if it grew to be a family friend and, and that was who he chose for his middle name so it wasn't until he was 11 yeah. that he started to call himself Alexander Graham Bell. When did you start to look into this fella's life because you you when you're not laughing you're learning on this podcast i can't believe how much you know that is phenomenal so when did you get into this um i've always obviously i've always been fascinated by him because everybody even right from school age oh you know yeah you were named after the invent of the telephone blah 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 and of course back then when i was at school telephones were were hardwired things in the house uh, and it wasn't actually until my 11th birthday that I got my first mobile phone, which was a Philips Diga, BT Cellnet Philips Diga, huge, massive it's thing. Yeah, it was a, it, it was a, it was a brick definitely, and it had, um, it had space for for 90 uh, contacts in your in your phone list. And back then, this was like this was groundbreaking, 90, and it could have 10 uh, text messages. Uh, but that was it. Once you got over 10, that was you couldn't have any more. And I think text messages back then were 12p each to send. It's a fortune. And you used to, you remember, you used to have to go and get your uh, little top-up card from the corner shop. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was my 11th birthday. I got a phone. And I think ever since then, I was just fascinated by the technology, just overawed by this device that I could send a message and get a reply back. Um, and, and so what from, from that point forward, I was always interested in. And for what has was your fascination has now become your your caution in your area of public speaking, and it's it's something you really want to communicate the dangers of communicating in certain ways. Yeah, well, I think um, to bring it back round to, to to Alexander Graham Bell. If he were alive today, if he if he could come here now, and I'm sure he would be on your podcast. And you showed him where the technology had gone. I think initially he would be amazed at how these devices are everywhere. And he did famously predict that you would one, one day uh, you would be able to see the other man on the other side of the telephone. So he, he knew where the technology was going and where, and where it would get to. But I think he'd be amazed. But I think very quickly he'd be really saddened by actually what we're doing with the devices. Uh, he was a great pioneer of sound, of audible. He works with the deaf community as his father had done and his father's father had done. So it was the family business uh, was, was educating deaf. And so I think for him to realize that his invention has laid the groundwork to something which has actually uh, deafened the sound of communication. If you go into a coffee shop now, 
you know, you don't hear all the chatter, all the jokes and laughter and camaraderie. You just hear people tapping and swiping on the screens and moaning about the coffee and how late it's been since they got the last one. So I think he would actually be really saddened by, and disappointed by how we use the technology. Uh, the opportunity of technology is amazing. You think about how in 2025 there'll be more connected devices than people on the planet. Like that's that level of connectivity is unbelievable. But if 90% of what is happening on those devices is just uh, is not productive or not life enhancing, or if it's you know replacing communication and chatter and connection amongst people, then I think that we've got a problem there, and I think there is an opportunity to do something with it. And and that's the subject of one of your your talks, and that's one of the areas of passion for you, I guess, is to get that message out there, that there are things we can do to communicate less with technology for the better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think it stems from our personal habits and uses of devices and phone use, you know, the average uh, amongst ad adult population in, in, in more Western countries is about three to four hours a day we spend on these devices. Now, if you factor in uh, laptop screens, email, you know, if you, if you really think about it, actually technology is pretty much runs our entire day. Uh, and, and the actual time that we get for a quality connection with somebody else face to face is very, very little. And I think that's really sad. I often say, you know, the time that we spend with our devices is often tenfold the time that we spend with our most loved ones, the people we really, really care about in the world. And I think that's a great shame. And I know you've got children and this is a, an obstacle, a hurdle, a lot of parents come up against and you've, you've had that same problem. You know, do, do, what age do I give them a phone? What message is that given to them, an iPad, etc.? Yeah, I think it, it's, it's, it's a really interesting. So I'm of the era, we're probably of the era, Alfie. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll include you in that. Uh, of, of just about remembering a time where there was no phones, where there was no internet, you know, the old, I remember the old BBC computers at school and the first Macintosh that came in or Macs for, for those younger members of the audience um, and really seeing how it's developed. But the, the, the younger generation now, certainly my boys, will grow up with a world that just knows no difference. There'll be no question that data uh, shouldn't be readily available in an instant, that there shouldn't be a way to order something uh, that doesn't arrive the same day probably uh, so it's just such a, a different mentality and a different environment that they'll grow up in that it's, it's we're only just starting to see the impact it's had on our generation and we're only just starting to realize that actually we need to probably do something about it that we're all sick of email right well how long has email been around how long has it taken us to get to a point where we realize that actually sitting at a desk all day refreshing an email inbox spending half an hour typing a message to somebody else who's going to be equally as annoyed when they receive it and have to read the damn thing and then feel uh, honor bound to reply back to you with a similar or longer like it's just it's crazy absolutely crazy so i think for the younger generations it's really difficult because we they don't have the same appreciation they, they don't see anything missing because they don't know any different and there's a, a, I think there is a, an air of expectation from 
the younger generations that they should have access to all of this. And I think they're right. They should have access to, to technology. Absolutely. But they, um, they don't fully, and I don't think we fully understand the impacts that it can actually have on them. Um, and I think when you come down to the really younger generations, I liken it to uh, cigarettes. Mm. So if you, if I think about when I was at school, uh, there was a stigma around cigarettes, but it was still seen as a bit of a cool thing yeah. to do. Uh, and it was still marketed as such. You know, yeah. Levi's would have an advert with somebody smoking yeah. in it in a brand new pair of 501s. So, you know, it wasn't until much longer uh, that they started realizing that actually it's not the best thing that we should be promoting. And actually, it was regulation that, that put really an end to the advertising with cigarettes. But I, th I think there's similar dangers with technology with, with younger people. Let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The North East Nibble Project is a not-for-profit organisation founded by two North East permanent makeup artists, Megan Jones and Amanda Patterson. Their aim is to provide free areola tattooing for women who've undergone a mastectomy and breast reconstruction as a result of breast cancer to help regain confidence and empower these courageous women. To register for this service or to donate, visit their website www.northeastnipples.co.uk and follow on Instagram at Northeast Nipple Project. And now, back to the show. It's interesting because I met you at the Thinking Digital Conference at the Sage in Gateshead, curated by the brilliant Herb Kim, who gets great guests to talk about all matters digital. And there you are, um, a guy who's in tech, who loves tech, whose primary talk and passion is about, you know, be careful with this stuff. And, and where do you see yourself, given that talk generally, in a world where a lot of these places, we're now at um, Northumbria University, where it's tech central here. Um, so where ideally would you like to speak and where do you see your, your, your talk working best possibly? So with thinking, so I spoke at Thinking Digital back in 2010. Um, I, was, I was the warm-up act to the, uh, one of the vice presidents of Google, uh, a guy called Ed, who uh, is, has been instrumental in, in Google Earth and Google Maps. And, and I was on there because I'd done a bit of work with Warner Brothers, basically. We'd created uh, Diagon Alley uh, from Harry Potter. Uh, and we captured it because they, they still had the film sets. It was just before they'd opened uh, the film studios to the public. So they still had the sets. Uh, and we turned up and we captured the whole thing and turned it into a big virtual tour. And we published it in partnership with Google onto Google Street View, which was, I believe at the time, was the, was the first uh, mythical uh, street that had ever been published on Street View. Um, so there was a big PR thing at the time. So, so I spoke at Thinking Digital predominantly about Street View and about yeah. that. And, and, I, and I made mention to a few uh, mishaps that had happened on Street View in one particular Manchester side alley where... Uh, let's just say a, a work an adult worker of the of the early hours of the morning was caught caught working and published on on Google Street View, and uh, and I showed this in my in my talk, which didn't go down too well with the guy from Google who followed me, but um, but it was but it was a lot of fun. Um, so I think with what I talk about now, 
uh, because I've, you know, I'm still involved in the tech scene very much. So, yeah, I have a business that produce still produces virtual tours, and 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 again, we've recently done some work with Warner Brothers. Um, so I'm very much uh, a, a fan, and, uh, and 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 totally see the benefits of technology. Yeah. But I also think there is another side to the conversation, which is about how technology is impacting us as people, because. Any type of technology that you think about all leads to having an impact on a person. Yeah. So I say when we talk about technology, what we're really talking about is people. And that's true. And I think that's been a missing piece to the conversation. I think we've got excited by uh, you know, things like Street View and, and VR and AI. AI has been everywhere recently. You know, It's very easy to get carried away by the excitement of the technology without asking and thinking about what impacts that's actually going to have on people um, and I think ethically there's a real big conversation to be had so I think the type of audience that that I'm uh, wanting to reach is is not just the tech sector um, I think it's a conversation that we as an industry all need to have but I think it's wider than that I think it's also you know at, at, at an employer level uh, when they're talking about staff well-being, well, I think digital well-being has yeah. to be a huge part of that conversation. Education, surely. Colleges, schools could uh, do the dose of Alexander. I just think... <laughs> I, the, problem, the problem there is, though, if you go into a, into If I talk to a younger audience, which I love doing, mm. uh, if I start banging on about Alexander Gret, they think Steve Jobs <laughs> invented the telephone. <laughs> so they're, wait, they're waiting for Steve Jobs to come and have a chat to them. Yeah, an ancient history lesson. Just, just talking now technically about speaking in public, and we're both members of the PSA, the Public Speakers Association. What kind of speaking... Would you say is your favourite kind? What do you enjoy most when you go to an event and you watch public speakers? Are there any standout speakers who you think I just love that style? That really works for me. There's uh, there's a guy. There's two guys that I've recently seen. Uh, one's called Tim Gard, and he's a, an American speaker, uh, and he's he's known as the sort of the prop master. His yeah. talks are all always involve from rubber chickens yeah. <laughs> right through to through to goggles that he puts on that with the eyes that pop out you know he really he really lives in 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 the prop world um but he's a he's a master storyteller he could talk one story a bit like billy connolly yes. does yeah. right billy connolly would have uh, the set list and he'd have a couple of stories on there and that would be it. That would be all he needed. And he'd go off track and he'd venture off beat, but he'd end up coming back round to one of the first or the second story. Well, Tim Gard can do that, but by using props. Mm. So I think he's, he's an amazing speaker. And one thing I've tried to do in, in some of my talks is introduce the element of props. Yeah. So I have an old uh, telephone uh, model, not a working model, but a, a, a true model of one of Alexander Graham Bell's very first telephones. So it's yeah. an interesting contraption. Well, well, I remember it. You've seen it. I've seen it. You've so seen it. It Yep. So I, I've used that as a prop. There's, there's a couple of other props that, that, that I use. Uh, one which is a red thong, <laughs> which yeah. is not necessarily technology-based. Seen that as well. <laughs> But uh, so, so I think from speaking, I think, uh, I think props is a really interesting thing to introduce. 
Um, and why? Just explore that yeah. because I think most most conferences we were at one today and no one used props. I did, uh, but n none of the speakers none of the speakers used props. There, most people use slides, don't they? Yeah, and there's and I, and I and I don't want to blow too much smoke up you, Alfie. But your prop, which was I don't know if you want to give the game away on the uh, on the on the podcast, but it was a but it was a brilliant prop and it it captivated everybody. There was a story attached to it. There was a message attached to it at the end. But it was visual. It was a bit interactive. It got that first couple of laughs going of the conference. It set the scene for something that you know for the day. And that's what you need. And sometimes there are people that do it without props and do it brilliantly. Um, but with the aid of a prop, I think it can help to divert the attention away from yourself. Yeah. And you can use something to, to either dramatic effect or it can just brighten up or liven the day. But I think when you compare it to slides, um, I think it's an unfair comparison because um, a prop is usually a very visual uh, it's usually got meaning. You usually understand it straight away. Yeah. Some people use like a plastic brain when they're talking yes. about, yeah. you know, neurodiversity and things like that. So, so I think uh, in that sense, then it's unfair. You can't really do that with a slide. Yeah. Um, and oh, before we come back to uh, more on that, there was another speaker. You said Tim Gard and another speaker. Yeah, I, can't, I can't remember his name. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he he's uh, another another American guy, mm -hmm. and he deals in improvisation. Oh, right. So, but that's also his topic. Yeah. So he'll go into an organisation, and the whole thing is off the cuff. He's got a few signposts mm -hmm. uh, activities that he does with people. There's one brilliant at the end where he's got. Uh, a bit like a straight jacket, mm -hmm. but it's it's big enough for two people to fit into. And he goes behind the person who's from the audience and he's their arms oh, and they're the body. Yeah. And they have to just uh, talk about a story or something and he acts it out with his arms. And it's just things like that that you just watch and you're just in awe of. But in order to do that, he's got such good people skills that he can build a rapport. Within an hour, he can have an audience on side willing to participate make a fool of themselves and, and that is a that is a real skill with himself and tim guard who would you say you both memorable visually can you remember their message uh i can certainly remember tim's uh story about the rubber chicken mm -hmm. um and the message that that is attached to that the fact that i'm mumbling tells you that i can't actually which is interesting, interesting. um but he, I mean, essentially, he's a very uplifting speaker, yeah, and yeah. it's it's about going it's away and having fun and and seeing that uh, you can make fun of yourself as much as anything else. So, so, that, so there is an important message there. But the improv guy, could you remember his impactful message if there was one? Do you know what I can't? Yeah, do, do you know what? I, yeah. I, I can't. I'm sure there is. Absolutely is. And I know that his improv itself yeah. as a topic is a big part of his. So that there was one talk um, that he was he, he was mentioning that was to uh, not the NHS, but the US is sort of equivalent, a huge hospital with lots of departments and everything else. And he was talking about how they could impro improvise with their patients a bit more and how they could use those short little moments where they're, you know, either preparing somebody's arm for a blood test or whatever, and just use those interactions to actually create a, a more positive experience. 
And so by using improv in that scenario could, could have a real impact on the organisation. Here's a, a question um, that has been prompted by what, who you've just been talking about and the skills they used. They work with what they've got. He's, one's good at improv, the other one's good at physical comedy. You're amazing. At tech, you can build worlds. You can build... Have you thought of using your skills that made a, a diagonally um, to make your talk memorable for what you've got in your, in your locker? Well, well, I'm not sure anything more than a red thong in the locker can be, <laughs> can be more memorable, Alfie. But, uh, but it's a really interesting thought. It's, it's, it's an interesting idea. I would need to, so somebody once said to, you were in the room, somebody said, I had a, I had a tech glitch, yes. which is hilarious in yeah, itself, yeah, yeah. and my slides wouldn't play. Mm. So I did the whole talk without any slides at all. And somebody remarked afterwards and said, I thought it was really good that you were talking about screen time and our over-dependence on technology, and you didn't have a single slide. <laughs> so, so whilst that was a complete accident, yeah. That's an interesting idea. Now, you're saying it from the other side. Yeah. Perhaps there's something very techy that I could yeah. do uh, on the stage, and, and that would, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And just other uh, technical pointers. Do you have a preference when you, you go into a room, uh, you go into a space that you think, I really like this kind of room, I really like that kind of space, that's where what I do hits better, lands better. Where do you like to perform or speak? It tends to be the bigger stages uh, is, is, is not just where I uh, sort of prefer it, um, which there's probably a bit of an ego side yeah. to that, uh, which that's fine. That, a little bit of ego is fine. Uh, it's when you start printing stands with your face on it yeah. that it becomes a problem. Um, but for me, the bigger the audience, because the, the matter of what I talk about tends to apply to 99% of people in the audience, uh, landing those home truths. When I talk about my eldest son uh, questioning, well, the, as the story goes, I know you've heard it oh, a few I times, Alfie. So uh, Dexter asks for his first iPhone for Christmas, and I, having been homeworking because of COVID and have got technology all over the house because I'm still putting out virtual tours, uh, he turns around and says, well, yeah, well, I turn around to him first and say, they're dangerous, they're bad for your health, they're highly addictive, you're not having one. And he turns around and says, well, Dad, if they're that bad, why are you and Mummy on yours all the time? So that, that moment uh, of, of sort of truth can really land with a, a wide audience. And I think it's those moments that I try and include in, in, in my talk that has a real big impact uh, on, on a big stage, whereas in a smaller room, I would tend to try and focus in on their needs and, and their objectives and, you know, talk about their organization as much as myself. But I think overall the message is, 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 has a much bigger impact if I'm on a, on a larger stage. Well, it's a great talk. I've interviewed you on the radio. I've seen you talk at the PSA and uh, I look forward to sharing the stage with you sometime in the future. How can people check you out and, and read more about you or get in touch with you to book you? Yeah. So again, this is this is an interesting thing because part of me should say, well, I'm not online at all. There's no website. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> but I've I, I have embraced it, so I'm 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 very visible on LinkedIn. Um, my website is alexanderbell.co. Uh, there's a French guy who owns the .com, right? 
and he's he ha- he has an old friend who was a as he, as he says she was a spy for the French government and she uh, she for some reason she knew Alexander Graham Bell and she'd done some whether it was some work with him or she'd been to a lecture of his or something there was a connection and because of that this friend that he had this spy died and I think in memory he bought the uh, alexanderbell.com domain so there's a tribute to Alexander Graham Bell and it mentions his friend and blah 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 so it's it's really lovely it's a lovely little website and he he happens to be uh, a guy who's bought one of the earliest uh, French uh, website domains going it, they call it a two name two character domain name which you can't really get it's, it's usually three or above uh, but he's managed to get one of the only two character domain names in France so this guy knows his domain names so I find where he is and, and start talking to him. And he's just, he just won't give it up. He says, Un- unless there's five figures, then he just doesn't want to give it up. So, so I'm alexanderbell.co rather than .com. But it's an interesting website if you go to the .com. So, so I'm .co. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, and yeah, people can, can get in touch through the website. Excellent. And I always ask for a recommendation. Who else from your your pals, your contacts, should I have on the Speaker's Corner podcast who you'd enjoy listening to? So, well, Tim Gard, if you can get hold of him, or the other guy that I can't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, I think Jeff Ram would be great. Um, he would be, he, he would, brilliant. yeah, he, he owes me a pint as well, actually. So <laughs> Jeff would be very good on here. Um, and, uh, Simon Raybould would be very good as there well. Go. So there, there you go. go. You got two. Well, actually you got four. One I can't remember his name on and the other guy's in the U S so you might have a time zone conflict. One at a time. Thanks very much. Really enjoyed that. No worries. Thanks Alfie. Take care. What about that? Told you it was going to be good. Uh, Craig Zablocki. Craig Zablocki is the other guy, the improv guy that Alexander couldn't grasp the name of. But yeah, I've looked him up and he does look good. I'm going to watch some more of that and Tim Gard and some great recommendations as well. So he told you where to find him. Get get over to his LinkedIn page. Get over to his, his website. He's brilliant. He's Alexander Bell. We'll have to get him on again. He was superb. See you soon. Please subscribe to make sure that you get the next episode of Speaker's Corner with Alfie Joey. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a good review so more people can get the chance to hear it. If you would like to get in touch with Alfie about improving your own communication skills, or you would like Alfie to speak at your company or at your event, please email info at This show was produced in Manchester, England by Jeff Downs.